0: Well, hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland, known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Ahoy, hoy, adventurers. Well, I genuinely hope everyone out there is doing well and staying healthy wherever your adventure is taking you. Now, I know it's been a bit of time since we've graced your ear holes, but life has been complicated for all of us. Uh, as many of you may remember from my past episodes, my adventures have taken me to... Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, And it's been a lot of unexpected stories for me. The largest is that I have welcomed a bouncing baby retail management job into my life. And boy, is it growing fast and taking up every moment of my attention. Well, for the last 60 months, it feels like 60 months. For the last six months, it's been 70 hours a week. And I've just been struggling to keep up with everything that real life requires. Uh, The positive, it's a good job. Uh, I've been losing weight and making money. The negative, it's had less time for podcasts, making new t-shirts and other amazing adventures. Finally, something found a way to keep me off Facebook and doing other things in the real world. So, is the podcast over, you may ask? Well, I know quite a few people have been asking that question for years, hopefully, uh, tend to be precise. Uh, But as is evidenced by the fact that you are currently listening to it, the answer is no. No. Uh, We continue to look for amazing guests, great jungle stories, and fantastic history. It's just been harder to find those things during what I call the Great Modern Plague. So I do want to uh, find the time and energy to get back to a more regular recording schedule. Now, no promises. I've uh, broken those too many times in the past. But I am working hard to get you some good stuff. And boy, do we have good stuff today. Lots of it. 90 minutes of it. The first of a 10-part series of 90-minute episodes entitled... Kyle and Kevin talked to each other a lot. Uh, Now, seven years, I was just at the point where the podcast was blowing up for the first time, and Skipper Kevin Lively and I got to be uh, Facebook-friendly. His Disney career was also blowing up, and we got to be good friends bonded by our love of a certain boat ride. We started grabbing lunch every once in a while, and then out of nowhere, I started working at Disney again at the same aforementioned boat ride. You know, people throw the brotherhood of skippers thing around a lot, but I I genuinely consider Kevin a brother or closer than and one of my dearest friends in the world. Now, he got to grab the brass ring and headed up from Anaheim to Glendale and join those Imagineers in helping to create the magic and guide the jungle to some new adventures and iterations. Now, during this episode, we barely scratched the surface of what we've done as friends, let alone the incredible stories of his accomplishments with guiding story and attractions for the Walt Disney Company. I personally know very few people whose mark on the land of adventure will be felt for the next few decades like Kevin, and I was thrilled whenever he would run a joke by me or ask my opinions on things, not that, not that he needed to. But one of the sad parts of moving to Ohio two years ago was that I lost my burger buddy, my lunch chum, my barbecue brother, So I was thrilled to spend a few minutes catching up, and I really hope you enjoyed this time we spent, and I hope that we'll get to do a few more sequels and dig in a little bit longer. Now, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, We've got a few hundred hours of content laying around here somewhere, but head over to Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S dot podbean dot com, and look for our recommendations on where to start. So I've been waiting for seven years to say these words, but I'd like to welcome Skipper and Imagineer Kevin Lively to The Tales from the Jungle Cruise in a little episode I like to call Thermodynamics for Comedy Writers or Lively Land is Your Land. Kungaloosh Adventurers... that's a good place to start the episode.
1: Yeah. That's great. You know, the Bengals are, are doing well. You know, I, Joe I love bagels.
0: bagels are amazing. They're doing well everywhere. <laughs> you know, they're, they're round dough that's boiled and baked. And how can you say no to that?
1: They're, they're quite delicious. And, and, and I, not, I'm just, however, I, I think it's however, great that the, the, the city has a whole stadium just filled with them. I think that's great.
0: Yes. Um, no, apparently they're a sports team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cincinnati actually has a really, really terrible um, soccer team too. you know, football, the um, FC Cincinnati, which they are not good. But um,
1: I I heard. Have you had the Cincinnati chili yet?
0: You know, uh, I have. And there's actually competing chilies. A lot of people outside of Cincinnati don't know that it's not just skyline. There's also gold star, but it's it's not actually chili on spaghetti the way it's it's uh, said to be. Hmm. It's actually like a Greek meat sauce. It has um, like cloves, and I mean it's it's not Italian or not. Um, there's nothing Italian about it with the the type of of sauce that goes on the spaghetti. So it's it is a strange uh, a strange thing, and I, I had it. and There's a lot of cinnamony kind of notes to it.
1: That's weird yeah uh bob's bob's big boy in burbank has chili spaghetti yeah uh it's it's what uh drew carey ate the night before his heart attack Oh, little wow. fun fact open up the episode
0: the uh and i got to meet uh drew carey when i was at the farmer's market in los angeles so you know we're just stacking on the my list of celebrities that i got to to chat with uh patten oswalt got to meet Patton oswalt when i was there
1: i i met drew carey at bob's big boy
0: oh great <laughs> So uh, what you're saying is the heart, the heart attack was maybe not the chili. It was your personality.
1: It, it might've been me, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was my dad and I, right before we took our, our trip to Florida, my dad and I just did a, a father son trip years and years ago. Yeah. We stopped there on the, on the way to LAX and you're we sitting there, we look across and oh, Drew Carey and uh, I got my picture with him and stuff. And he might actually be my real father. Not sure.
0: Okay. The, um, You know, the interesting thing, and and once again, I don't know how many people have listened to the, you know, one podcast that I've done in the last six months um, or the the very few that I did in the meantime for COVID, uh, but I do live in Cincinnati now,
1: which is. uh, That's weird because we were just talking about Cincinnati.
0: Yeah. You know that maybe there's a a link to that, uh, Hmm. but I am, I think I'm close to being the most geographically distant from every Disney park possible. I think Toronto is the only other place that's, that's, or maybe Chicago, but yeah, it is, it's even, it's even farther away than Toronto or Chicago because they have airports and uh, Cincinnati technically doesn't have an airport. It's actually in Kentucky.
1: But you have that cool grocery store. Kroger's. No, what's that? That like Disneyland yes, grocery no, no, store. We, of the well, we, are, we are also the home of Kroger. I mean,
0: uh, there's all kinds of fun Cincinnati, you know, things we can talk about here. Uh, you know, the, the, not just chili spaghetti. We also have the, uh, the donut trail, which is 24 donut shops that you can visit in one day and get a free t-shirt what? and also a free heart attack. Um, Sign can, me up. Uh, I actually want to do it. I was thinking about doing a video when I first moved out here. I did this thing called the, the sense newbie where I was like, Hey, is, is there room for me on uh, a, a YouTube channel experiencing Cincinnati for the first time? And I think it was survivor's guilt on my part, it was, you know, can I, can I spin some, you know, straw into gold or have, find a silver lining or some kick a dead cow, something, I don't know what it was, but it, um, it was a fun video. I got to go through, the, through this uh, Columbus, which is like an hour and a half North has this interactive um, almost as if it was run. It's like 24 artists who've created this interactive art museum in an old uh, grocery store. And it's, a, it's, it's really a, a place where failed Imagineers go to die. Is that actually the way I would describe it? But it's these really trippy interactive art rooms.
1: I wonder if they're hiring. <laughs>
0: uh, there's, that, there's that moment I want to do a, a drum roll on the, uh, on the top of the captain's crate for you there. <laughs> I, had a, I had a guy come through, just a total jackass with a pair of drumsticks one time oh, on, the, on the jungle boat. And he actually did rim shots on the captain's crate. And I was, normally I am not, you know, caught without words, but I really just wanted to tell him off and I couldn't figure out a way to do it. And he just kept on hitting it on every single note.
1: That, that's so when that you switch to a Drew, National Geographic field. So he yeah, doesn't that, have an opportunity.
0: That man was Drew Carey. Just so you Oh, know. wow.
1: Yeah. What are the odds?
0: Turning. But no, uh, so it is interesting. Cincinnati is, uh, did you know Cincinnati used to be the third most populous city in the United States for like four wow. years? Wow like between like 1890 and 1910 or 20, it was like one of the most populous cities in the U S and then, you know, the depression hit and it totaled, but there's a huge immigrant population here at the time. Uh, A lot of Russian and German immigrants came through Irish. um, And so they built all these amazing WPA things. And, you know, it, it really has a really interesting, you know, history, art deco buildings, they used to have uh, one of the coolest libraries in the U S that had these like Gothic metal elevator stacks of books. That's rad. So, I mean, there's all, and, and the justice league from super friends, his yeah. Cincinnati, um, the union station here was what the justice uh, hall of justice and super friends was based on. So there's interesting things here. Fiona. I mean, Fiona is in Cincinnati. Um, but short of all of those things, not really meaning a crap. I'm, I'm basically dying a little on the inside every day here. It's, uh, it's an okay city, but it's not made any better by COVID. But uh, Jungle Gyms, now that's a guy who uh, has a bit of an imagineering fetish, I would say. You've seen the videos, right?
1: Yeah, that's the grocery store, right? It's
0: the grocery store. So there's two of them. They, each of them are half a million square feet.
1: <laughs> it, it's like fries on crack. It is. It's still in business
0: it's like, it's like if fries was a grocery store that had food from every, it's like if um, like cost plus world market had a baby yeah. with Costco and it was a threesome with uh, a really bad theme park. Um, <laughs> so for people who don't have any clue, just go on on YouTube and just search jungle gym. So it, the guy has all of these animatronics that if you can if you can call a tony the tiger that rocks back and forth a little bit um and talks to you an animatronic uh you know all, none of them are actually animated beyond you know simple movements uh they make small world look complicated so, <laughs> like hopper well i guess they've uh i can't really tell a story about small world that holds water right now
1: oh you just don't have the power yeah
0: yeah the, uh, this is why, this is why um, operating procedures are so important, kids. <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're cycling things and you uh, hear an alarm, make sure you push the e-stop. I guess I should say, so uh, for anyone who's listening through the start of our drivel, uh, the, the voice that you may recognize is of uh, storied Jungle Cruise skipper Kevin Lively uh skipper kevin uh was at the disneyland resort as a jungle cruise skipper uh what what was the timeline kevin i uh, i was
1: i was at the resort from 2007 to 2012 and i, I think i started jungle uh, early 2008 about 6 months in
0: and i i still i still think it's funny cuz that was that had to have overlapped with me cuz that was the time that i was there i was i was there till september of 08 i think you were the guy who kept shoving
1: me in trash cans <laughs> call me a nerd
0: yes that's that's <laughs> exactly my mo is I'm, yeah, that, that I'm, the, I'm the jungle bully uh
1: and, and then yeah. i'm gonna
0: write a book about how great it is a jungle that we used to haze the kids you
1: know there you go uh yeah i mean i i don't i mean i was getting a lot of opera shifts um all the knowledge i had at disneyland i had you know jungle tiki uh Maybe my home I attraction actually-
0: Maybe I actually did. Maybe I knew you more that you were over it uh, because I didn't have Lincoln knowledge that that time around mm -hmm. my third time. But you worked with with our friend Kimmy over there. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. So uh, Opera House was technically my home attraction. Uh, And then the second one I got was uh, Jungle Cruise Tiki. And then I I learned Indiana Jones and tried to avoid it like the plague. And uh, Main Street Vehicles was the last one I picked up.
0: You, you've heard how poorly over time that I avoided Indy. Every time I hired in, they stuck me there, you know, for at least a little bit of time.
1: Yeah, yeah, Frank, Frank and I, uh, we an uh, care, I, we had an understanding. He didn't care, but we had an understanding that uh, yeah. not a fan. Nope.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it was a rough time for me, too. Once I got out of it the last time, it was uh, almost nothing could pull me back into that box, so.
1: No, I mean, I, I think it, I should explain why, you know, Indiana Jones Adventure is an amazing attraction. Um, it was a loud, angry room to be pressing buttons in. Yep. Uh, it, it's, it's actually like the, the polar opposite of a working jungle outside. You're, uh, you're outside in the beautiful, lush landscape, and there you're in a loud, angry, rumbling building. Uh, jungle Cruise, you have no height restrictions. Uh, Indiana Jones, you have to tell kids they're too short. Uh, just and, and a totally ugly. different environment. Tell tell they're it, ugly, too. Yeah, and you tell them they're ugly and you then you push them and then you put them in a the trash can as they see in the jungle 15 years, kid. Um, but it yeah, it's just it, I, I once had a, a nightmare where the whole the, the entire night I was I was sleeping, I was checking fast passes. That was my entire dream. It was just checking fast passes at Indy. It was it was a horrible night's sleep. It's one of those you, you never forget. Um, but yeah, I mean if you had your chance of you know, pressing a button in a loud, angry room or telling jokes out in the middle of a garden somewhere, you know, you, you want to, you know, throw me in some shorts and into a boat. Um, but there, there's people who like strive and like live for indie and yeah. bless their hearts. That's what they're made for. But, you know, there's just different types of people in this world.
0: Well, and they, they always tried to get me over at thunder too. And that was just like, yeah, I, I, it's like pushing buttons in a loud, angry outside. It's that, you know, yeah. it's not even a good compromise.
1: So yeah, I mean it's if if you're working at Disneyland, you know at least for me it was like well let me let me do something that makes me happy, yeah. Um and and working Jungle was great, working Opera House sharing history and knowledge, I I love that. Main Street Vehicles, you know, I I I always say that you know the the best job anyone could possibly have is driving the the fire engine but wearing like the tiki costume. Sure. Um, that's the the only downside of working vehicles was all that polyester, because on a hot day, it it was horrible it was layered. layered too. Yeah. Layered and, and just, and, and dark blue and just not pleasant, but the the entire vehicles crew has been there like since before I was born, Yeah, um, Steve and Steve and, and Kevin and everybody, they're, they're a fantastic group. You know, Jerry was there before he passed. Um, but driving Walt's fire engine down main street, man, that doesn't get any cooler. You know, that, I mean, you're sitting in the seat, Walt Disney sat in, you know, turning the wheel, Walt Disney turned, driving up and down it was, it was the coolest thing. You know, on the bus is fun. Uh, it, that generation of buses didn't have any connection directly to Walt. So, eh, you know, um, but the little main, the horseless carriages were pretty cool too. Yeah, so rather than, rather
0: than walking in Walt's footsteps, it's really, you know, treading in Walt's tread or.
1: Yeah. 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 It's it's like walking Walt's footsteps with less blisters because you're. Yeah. Uh, and you never realize how uphill Disneyland is until you're, you're riding in that clutch all the way up. parade route (laughs) during rainy day cavalcades. So, um, but yeah, those were, those were my home attractions or those are all my attractions rather.
0: Yeah. My, my uh, experience with main street vehicles was being asked, Kyle, can you drive a stick? And I said, no. And they said, do you want to learn? And I said, no. And that was it. It was
1: pretty, uh, pretty short. Yeah. Like I think the only like position at main street vehicles, I didn't really like, I didn't care for was pumpkin point. Mm-hmm. or the Christmas tree, same thing. Yeah. Where you're standing there and telling people to get out of the way because you have a big, giant visual obstruction right in the middle of town square. It's not as fun. You know, you're taking pictures and stuff. I'd rather be driving. Yeah. And the weirdest the weirdest part about working vehicles is like this weird natural phenomenon where if you, if you get your guests talking in the back of the fire truck, people from like, you know, like, where are you get from? Oh, Seattle. And then you ask them, the other group in your truck, where are you from? They're like, oh, Cincinnati. And they say, oh, Cincinnati, do you know so-and-so? Like, yeah, I lived right next door to him. It, it happened more times than I can count of just these random connections people had in, in the back of the, the Disneyland fire truck. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: I, had a, um, I had an ongoing, it, it happened less and less the older I got. But when I started at the parks, at like 03, 04, 05, I kept on running into people I knew from high school in Washington. Wow, like I would, I would just be, and I, I was not, you know, I was 30 ish at that point, And I would run into people I'd not seen for tw- 12 years. And it was just all, and it was, it was not irregular. It was once or twice a month. I would run, run into some, someone that I knew from Washington. So I guess everyone
1: comes there. Yeah. It's like some sort so, of vacation destination.
0: So what was the, um, what was the thing that drew you to the resort? I mean, I, I think everyone has their story about how they got hired in and what they were, what they were at in their life when they joined the, um, the the park. What was your thing that drew you to this big adventure?
1: I I I went in there, you know, uh, with my with the goal of eventually moving to Imagineering, and it, it's so rare that it actually happened. That the fact that it did happen for me is is insane. Still, just like the odds of it happening just are are slim to none, not as many imagineers as you would think actually ever worked in the parks.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, That was my, my entire MO going, uh, you know, transferring when I finished up junior college in Bakersfield Uh, I applied to Cal state Northridge and Cal state Fullerton got into both because I had a social security number. (laughs) That's really low hanging fruit there.
0: Here's a mirror. Please fog it.
1: Yeah. Um, so I uh, went to Cal State Disneyland and uh, got a job at the park back when you, uh, uh, I applied and I started a couple weeks later. When you would so, actually have an
0: interview with a real person. and uh, Yeah,
1: it was, I remember when I interviewed, the, it was a, like a dual interview. It was me and somebody else. And the guy was juggling. I don't know if he thought that would improve his odds of getting a, a job in foods. Um, yeah, I thought it was super weird. Uh, I don't think he was offered a position because they called us in separately and he went in first and did not seem too happy when he left, yeah. um, which is weird because he was juggling three balls, which yeah. is pretty hard.
0: I, you know, it's, it's so funny that I look back at those days where they used to turn people away. Yeah. Um, you know, it, uh, at one point there was, I think someone told me there was like 12 or 13 applicants for every position that they actually ended up filling. And I think that the number is now pretty much reversed that's insane. So, so, um so I'm, now what was your, your colleging that you were doing to specifically look at, at heading in that direction?
1: Uh, I was, uh, I just went for a uh, communication. Uh, and by the way,
0: colleging, that's the reason I never became an imagineer was cause I,
1: <laughs> cause I have verbiage like that. My, my education uh, I I went uh, for uh, human communication, communication stuff, so like interviewing, interpersonal, public speaking, things like that. Uh, not really knowing, uh, you know, you know. When I moved down there, I, I was still in that naive mindset of, which I think is like one of the, the biggest things, biggest misconceptions that people have about imagineering, and it's you know like, oh, what do you want to be an imagineer? What do you want to be? Like, I want to be an idea guy. And you, you, they don't tell you that job isn't real. Just because Tony Baxter said he's an idea guy for the last 30 years, doesn't mean that's like a job description. Right. Um, so it wasn't until I uh, got assigned to write a paper on in a ceramics class, I had to write a paper uh, about any ceramic artist. And so I was working at the Opera House and I saw that, you know, I would look at the Blaine Gibson maquettes every day because it's still the Disneyland of first 50 magical year starring Steve Martin and Donald Duck. Um. And so I'm like, oh, you know what? I, I have access to the archives as a, as a cast member. Let's take advantage of that. Um, so I wrote my paper on Blaine Gibson. I wrote an email to, uh, I also had my, my cast email. Uh, and everybody in Disney, I had, had, a, had a click of a button I can send a message to, which is pretty rad. Uh, so I sent a message to Dave Smith, who used to run the archives, who has since passed, and introduced myself. And so I'm writing a paper on Blaine Gibson. He said, yeah, come on down. And they pulled the Blaine Gibson file big giant uh uh folder just filled with articles interviews newspapers everything you can imagine so I dug through there for a day and, and found my sources and uh he's like oh and, you know while you're down here also you should reach out to uh Chris who's a writer at Imagineering she might be able to help you too so I reached out to her and, and she she brought me in and I, I met her at 1401 in Glendale and, uh, you know, she, she told me some stories, gave me some resources. And she said, when you're done, send it over my way. Uh, I'd be curious to read it. And so I I sent her my finished paper and she was impressed. And, uh, she became my first advocate to try to get me over to imagineering. So that was you know, in a roundabout way. It was my, a ceramics class that got me noticed of, of all things.
0: I, um, kind of tangentially, I actually, when I was, uh, with the parks. There was one of my few trips up to, to Burbank. Um, I actually, I got to meet Dave as well. I was just randomly hanging out. Uh, There was something happening at the archives and I just was looking at through a window and I saw there was something that was, it was something jungle related. And I just made a random comment about it. And, you know, he comes around the corner and then proceeds to unload 500 facts on me uh, about the one thing that I was looking at. So he was a, an absolute font of knowledge. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I, once I don't think cast members, I don't know that they have the freedom now that they had 15 years ago to go and just like randomly, you know, go up to the studios and, and get to experience the buffet line and all the other amazing things we got to see there and meander through the statue garden and all that.
1: Is that be, is it because of COVID thing or have they actually, I just don't know. I mean, I've,
0: I've talked to people who work there in the last five years or so and they just don't know. They just, you know, it's not a thing that that they're aware of if it's still an available thing that they can do.
1: I want to say, I remember at some point before, before COVID hit, like they were like, you had to make a reservation or you had to get a ticket or something to go to the studios, which is, which I didn't have to do because I was already in Glendale. So I just had to flash my ID to get in. Um, But that's a shame.
0: Yeah. But also like, you know, early on, even in the early DCA days, I feel like there was 20,000 fewer employees. Yeah. You know, I, sorry, cast members, um, you know, at the the, the resort. And I just feel like, man, there's been an explosion of people who work there. So.
1: Yeah. I used to love wandering around that studio and just seeing what I can see. It was great.
0: There was like a prop thing one day. I, I only went up a couple of times and they were like wheeling some props out. And one was like a painted background from, something. I'm like, I don't know if it's bed knobs and broomsticks or it was something that was just like this panel, uh, that I'm sure, you know, it was probably, probably filmed at Pinewood or something. And they just had this piece of it. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, something that was in a movie that now is just hanging out at the studio back lot. It was a really strange, you know, moment, all, all these random things that, you know, are just sitting in boxes somewhere.
1: Yeah. I think like the first time I actually went down there was for Imagineering day, which was a whole, I, it might've been a whole week or something, but they would do all this imaginary stuff at the studios. So I went, I, I saw a flyer up in the, uh, the line offices. I'm like, I'm going to go check that out. Mm-hmm. So I drove down there and it was cool. It was almost like a carnival type atmosphere with all these different things and photo ops. And uh, I went on stage and, and Marty Scalar was hosting something. And it was like a, like a trivia contest. And I ended up singing when you wish upon a star to Marty Scalar. And he told me to never sing to him again, which is a promise I kept.
0: Um, did you have, you know, when you were, um, you know, going through that kind of early process and, you know, starting with the company and kind of spreading your legs, I mean, did you have something in the back of your head that was, that was the, gosh, this is a great thing. And I wish I could have the opportunity to do it kind of a thing. I mean, did you have kind of a, uh, something in the back of your head that was like, I can bring this amazing concept to the the plate or, you know, was that, was that there early on for you?
1: It was I actually, the, the thing that really helped push me through, uh, was, uh, Kevin Rafferty be, uh, after Chris, who was my first advocate, re, uh, uh, retired, uh, I reached out to Kevin Rafferty because he was the only other writer I knew. And I think I knew him through the, the Tokyo competition. Um, uh, well, no, I take that back. No, uh, Chris tried to get me in for an internship. And one of the things, uh, that happened before that was the Indiana Jones, hy- summer of hidden mysteries. and for that they they installed like four little props throughout the queue and then gave us some jokes but like they, they didn't consult with any of the skippers beforehand which is a shame and so what i did is i, I gathered a bunch of jokes and I, I sent them uh, to her i say here's some of my jokes here's some for some others um and uh, um to try to push them through unfortunately like the legal process took too long and so by the time that Legal got through them. It was the end of the, the Hidden Mysteries summer. Uh, however, when Chris tried to get me in through an internship, I went to the interview uh, and Kevin Rafferty walked in. He quoted one of my jokes, and that was uh, for the gorilla camp. We have <laughs> to see if, if I can remember how this goes uh, back there, that that gorilla, uh, with the hat. Well, his name is Harry uh, down here in the front, that gorilla with a gun. Well, that's Harry's son, Ford. And he walked in quoting that joke. Um, and so that was like my, my first introduction to him. Uh, that internship uh, apparently originally had two people like they were looking for. And it got cut down mm-hmm. to one and I came in second place. So I didn't get that one. Uh, but I knew Rafferty from that moment. And so after Chris retired, I reached out to him to ask, hey, who do we talk to about the Spiel submission program? He's like, well, I guess it's me now. And so uh, if you've never met Kevin, Kevin is, he is unparalleled in, in his pun game. Like his, his puns are next level. Uh, you know, if you took you and me and you put us into a blender with every steroid imaginable, you, we would still only hit like half the level that he can hit. Um, and so we would end up emailing puns back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was around the holiday time that we started emailing uh, holiday puns, jungle puns back and forth. And it got to the point where he's like, he's like, okay, you need to stop until I can get these paid, get you paid for these. And so he became my next big advocate to try to get me over there. And so uh you know, believe it or not, it was like jingle cruise was like kind of like the the thing that I, I kind of focused on. Now he got me in to Imagineering in our old blue sky department. And the, the first uh, the first, adventure uh, project I was put on was the, uh, adventure trading company originally called jungle trading company, which was a pitch by another skipper turned imagineer, Brandon, uh, who's off doing his crazy cool props and all his skipper, Brandon stuff. Uh, so they handed that idea to me and, and, uh, Joey, who is, uh, the husband of a skipper, a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of skippers, uh, related to that uh, adventure trading company became the first big project, uh, I, I I ramble so I I I lose track but what I was going to say is the other project I was put on uh would eventually become uh, Legends of Frontierland mm-hmm. which ran uh a, a summer later on uh but the very first meeting I ever had in Glendale was at the R&D building and we were talking about that Legends Legends of Frontierland and we we're like oh you know we have that new Lone Ranger movie coming out that's going to be pretty big maybe we can uh, we can hang our hat on that That was not the case, but halfway through the meeting, it ended early because somebody ran in and said a jewel heist just ended in the parking lot and we all (laughs) ran out to the parking lot and there was sure enough, there was a car like just like parked wonky in the parking lot, doors open, all this jewelry just like spilling out like Scrooge McDuck just uh, had a hole in his pocket and I'm like, wow, this is my first day at work. You know, This is going to be the most exciting job ever. yeah my first day at imagineering ended early because of a jewel heist, which is pretty funny. Um, so yeah, Rafferty became my advocate, uh, and it was the, the jingle crew stuff that really he got us in. So he got us into got me into blue Sky um, from there, and uh, I, I worked in Blue Sky doing adventure training company, Legends of Frontier Land, which eventually evolved, uh, Skipper Canteen. Uh, and then there was a lull like there was a few hours I, I had available. So I, I talked to the boss because I was still, I was a consultant. So I wasn't officially an Imagineer. I was a green badge consultant at the time. Actually, I wasn't even green badge. Like they wouldn't even give me like a plastic ID. They Somebody had come fetch me from the lobby every time I went there for a meeting. That, that happened for a long time. Um, so I had some availability and she's like, well, is there anything you want to work on? I said, well, Rafferty and I used to pass back and forth these uh, jungle Christmas puns. I would love to put together a pitch for a jungle cruise Christmas. And she's like, okay, I'll give you eight hours to do that. So I put together the pitch for jingle cruise, which actually jingle cruise was the name for one coast and jungle bells was the the pitch for the other coast. Um, I just, the way I, I kept it organized and jingle cruise was sold off of only eight hours worth of labor, no concept art, just me and a deck, pitching it all the way up the ladder as far as I could. I spent way more than eight hours on it. Uh, but that's, that's how we were able to sell Jingle Cruise. So
0: <coughs> small jump backwards.
1: Um, I think there's a lot of
0: just, just going back to frontier land. Um, I think there's a lot of that DNA that feels like it comes through over in galaxy's edge um, as far as, a how incredibly difficult it is to try to put on a LARP at at a theme park with a whole bunch of people who want to be the main character, not the supporting character. Yeah. Yep. Um, And I think that was one of the big challenges that I saw that they addressed really well, you know, in Galaxy's Edge uh, was, you know, how do you make everyone feel like they're special without anyone going overboard with it? Yep. Uh, Which is kind of the, the vibe I got from uh from Frontierland with that whole thing was it was it was a challenge to make sure that the right
1: focuses were on the right, you know, guests at the right time. Yeah, and, and you know, and every day that team would go in there and, and they would try to break it, right? Because if if your playtest is going well, then that's not what you're paying for. Is you want to see how many different ways you can break it. And so uh, uh Corey and Asa, who are the, the leads for that, did a great job. It was really well received and it's still going strong at another park that's not Disney related. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what you want to do. That's, that's the secret sauce is get in there and try to break it. Same thing with adventure trading company. It, it was, it went swimming with you. Well, we, we sold out early, like it was supposed to last a month and we ran out of stock. And so, you know, we would go in there and we would be like, let's try this. Let's try an adventure for anybody who has this juju or let's do this exclusive thing. And it was, it was great because it was me, it was Joey who I mentioned earlier, and uh, Morgan Richardson, and Morgan who was just an intern at the time. But you know, we were we were in there uh, installing stuff. So it was a producer, a writer, and an intern at the base of uh, the of Tarzan's treehouse, installing stuff because the guy in charge of the technology just his wife just gave birth, so he wasn't available. So we we're going off of notes in the middle of the night. Like you know, fueled by like Mike and Ike's or something, uh, just like <laughs> going into the bushes and stuff, just getting the stuff installed. It was it was really cool. It was it was a fantastic first big project to work on. It's it's nice, you know. I,
0: uh, you know, there are always things that have passed from the the active to the inactive when it comes to to theme park experiences. Um, you know, Jingle has a certain era of particularly skipper who seemed to be uh, pretty venomously opposed to, to jingle at times. Uh, But it is, it's one of the most uh, for, for the general people, one of the things that, that we get the most feedback about, you know, the positive memories and the fact that there's so much uh, good sense skippers too who, you know, maybe they were guests at the time who later became skippers and jingle became a lot of that DNA Um, and it's, it's one of the more fondly remembered things where constantly, you know, for the first couple of years after that was the big, you know, is it coming back question? So
1: yeah, you know, I definitely feel like
0: it's, it's the legacy of it is going to continue even if it's not active.
1: And I, I think it's, you know, it was a really big step in, in jungles evolution, because when you have, there you go, there's your, your hat. Um, when you have an attraction like jungle cruise, I mean, let's, let's look at this from an operation standpoint and let's throw every bit of nostalgic love out. So that doesn't exist. So you're looking at it strictly as a, as a numbers person on a spreadsheet, you have a a really big attraction that takes a lot of cast members to run driving very expensive boats uh, through a jungle that I can't imagine is cheap to maintain through lots of water with a, with a, with a handprint or a footprint that is the size of a land. And if you don't think that, you know, somebody out there would be chopping at the bit to just ax it and throw in, you know, I don't know in, in, in Canto land or Zootopia land or something like that. Like that's something you have to, you have to consider is like, you have to keep things fresh because when you you have an attraction like that, like I said, if you remove every bit of nostalgia, every bit of love and, and, and thing like that, any walk connection, just on paper, it has a pretty big, pretty big target on its back. Now I never saw anybody say we needed to close it or any, I never saw any pitches to get rid of it. It was, it's because everybody loves it so much because, you know, because of if its deep roots. And so every Imagineer, whoever wanted, whoever proposed anything had every good intention to, to try to further its legacy and, and keep it around. Um, so, I mean, when you have older stuff like that, you, you do need to, you do need to spruce it up. You need sure. to keep it going. You can't run the same show for decades and decades without any change. Yeah. And now were there. So when you were coming in with that stuff, was there
0: discussions about things like narrations and the things that had happened in the nineties? Uh, when I came into jungle or came into imaginary, when you came into, well, when you came into, uh, you know, jingle and the things, you know, where it's not just your jungle role, but when you actually are starting to, to pitch things and ideas and and hear the feedback was narrations discussed.
1: Nope, not really. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that ever I, I think if it ever got discussed because I brought it up. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the I think because Chris was the writer for jungle at the time of all that. So when she she left, I think, you know, the whole narrations aspect of it kind of went went away. But, you know, my having my operations background, especially for jungle actually helped out a lot um, just because you're able to go in there. And, you know, when someone's like, oh, we can do this and we can do that. I'd be like, hey, guys, just so you know, these are not auditioned actors like there's guidelines, there's things we have to follow, things we have to take into consideration. I look back at all the different types of people I trained over the years, the ones who stuck around, uh, the, the ones who didn't make it through training. Those, those are things you have to take into consideration. You know, you can't write like you can't go in there and expect to be like, oh yeah, we're gonna write this spiel and it's gonna be fantastic, and we want the skipper to act like Steve Martin or Robin Williams or something. It's gonna be great, Uh, because truth be told, you could be getting like Grandpa Joe who just took a retirement job because he wants to sign in his grandkids, Mm -hmm. and he has no performance experience, and like that 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 is a definitely a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so, just reminding my colleagues, like. You know, this is the nature of jungle. This isn't, this isn't a, a musical or stunt spectacular. Um, these are just things you have to take into consideration. And you know,
0: the and training jungle team Cruise, is
1: fantastic, but you know, they're, they're not, they're not miracle workers. Uh, jungle Cruise, the musical, by the way, fantastic
0: idea. I'm, I'm oh, on board with that.
1: Yeah. It rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was funny because I never, when we were working on the Jungle Cruise movie, you know, they are reaching out to me. They're like, is there a song for Jungle Cruise Dwayne really wants to sing? I'm like, nope, not really. I mean, there's music inside the temple at Florida, but there's no lyrics.
0: I you missed an opportunity because you know, this is your birthday
1: song. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, why did I miss that opportunity? Because you had taste.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean it's um I imagine that going into a place where, as you are starting to get more and more of of the perspective about the imagineering side of things versus the cast side of things, uh, you know, it gives you. Um, I can only imagine it gives you just a hugely different perspective on the operation and the training and the people and the guest experience. And so, what were what were some of the bigger revelations, surprises, things like that, that when you started going into the influencing role versus the performance and, and, and operations role, what were the things that you really became aware of?
1: I think a lot of people go into Imagineering um, with this idea that it's this, this fun factory where everyone rides around on scooters and, you know, shoots people with Nerf guns and stuff. I mean, I, I did that, but not, not everybody else did. Uh, And, you know, the, the process is way more complicated than one could ever imagine because, you know, we can, the Imagineers could design the most amazing things. If you, if you hand them a blank check, you'll, you'll get amazing results. But at the end of the day, you know, Imagineering isn't the one paying for these projects. You know, we're they're like design services and the clients, the parks, say, Hey, we need this. Um, and then you, you work towards that. And you, there's a partnership and you, you stay within their budget and you want to make sure you hit their things. So it's not like, you know, WDI is this like, all-knowing god that gets to make every decision there's a lot more influence by the parks that i don't think a lot of people realize and so i think that was one of the biggest like you know misconceptions i had going into it and and then just learning you know the 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 politics and and the wheeling and dealing and you know knowing who knows who and who you need to talk to and 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 things like that it's it is a it's 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 a hustle the, uh, it,
0: it reminds me of the, the Walt Disney quote about, you know, you can dream and build and all that, but also lawyers. Yeah. Uh, lawyers It's one of Walt's favorite fav, famous uh, quotes that he used to make. Um, I, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, Dave Koenig's books, but uh, his, his People vs. Disneyland mm-hmm. is, I just think, one of the the most amazing reads because you start realizing the first lawsuit against the park was three days after it opened. Jeez. Um Cause there was a young lady who uh, hit her head on the steering wheel of an Autopia car and split it open. Cause there was no padding. It was a metal wheel. <laughs> um, and that was the first lawsuit against Disneyland and oh, wow. three days into the parks operation. And it's it, everything that you see is touched by a lawyer. There is, you know, and probably not just one, but many, many lawyers looking at every aspect of everything. And uh, you know, if, if anything, it's uh, it's a theme park that was built,
1: you know, Maybe
0: not by the lawyers, but they sure had their finger in the pie.
1: Yeah. I mean, lawyer, I mean, I never really had to worry about any of that stuff because mine was more on the creative side. I can imagine like the engineers and, and stuff, but, you know, from the outside, a lot of people go like, well, why don't they just do this? Why don't they just build a rescuer's ride and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, let's go ahead and look at this. Well, the rescuers was released about 40 years ago, has this and it does a track with these these audiences. And you know, there's all these different metrics and things you have to take into consideration now. Mm -hmm. And and there's also, you know, they, they have so many different things they can pull from. Uh, and so when when say when people say, Why don't they just blank because just blank isn't a thing like yeah. that just it's not the way the world works and,
0: and for the rescuers because bob New, newhart had a no pay no play clause so <laughs> you know he really controlled that entire back end of that movie so Jean-Jacques gabor not so much bob newhart uh he knew he knew where to sign
1: <laughs> so uh yeah but those are I, I think that the biggest misconceptions from the outside is like yeah you know what imaginers would love to do all those crazy things that you guys would also love to do. But I mean, it's just, it's not that easy.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's, you know, there's how many, I don't need a specific number. It's a rhetorical statement, but there's, you know, how many different people who each are trying to, to push their own thing and there's budgets and there's, you know, realities and there's Chapex and Igers and, you know, Eisner's and all of the things that are out there in the world that are pulling in different directions to, to make it. So it's, from one side of it, it's kind of amazing that any one thing happens, whether it be a jingle cruise, whether it be whatever it is, a, a galaxy's edge, the confluence of things that come together to make any one thing happen kind of seems insane.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it just takes one person to derail like a year's worth of work. Oh, well, know, I, I know have... about derailing in the, in the jungle. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> I did that once, one. It's one person, not the not sixth well. shot so much work. Like, you know, I, have worked, I worked on ideas and we spent, you know, years on them and everything's going great. The parks loved them. And then somebody's like, well, why don't you run it by so-and-so just to see what they think. And you're like, why do they need to hear it? Like, no, we just think it would be good. And then against your better judgment, you go and you, you present it to so-and-so, and then they send you back to the drawing board, despite, you know, it being signed off by literally everybody else and their mother.
0: Yeah, actually. And so I, I, you know, I jokingly told you I was going to throw it on the Facebook page and see if people had questions for the Imagineer of choice that I'd be interviewing. And, and one of them, uh, a, a listener named Mike actually asked, um, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase, <coughs> but I mean, emotionally, how, how do cough, you type out cough? cough, Yes. Cough, cough, cough. But I mean, how do you manage, you know, emotionally and ego wise getting through, the original vision to all the revisions, all the cuts, and then maybe not even having it happen. I mean, is, is it difficult to keep
1: the ego out of it? Uh, it's yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a very big ego. I start off with, so it, it gets, it's frustrating. And, you know, you know, towards the end, you know, a, a lot of things I was working on just didn't make it, uh, and it's just it's just frustrating and heartbreaking, especially when you when you when you when you step back and you look at how everything's going, um, and you know how much money you have left in your budget, and they're saying no, you can't do it. And you're like, uh, it's it was it I, I wouldn't say it has anything to do with ego. It has to do with passion. It has to do with, you know, as as an artist, you you want to be able to go in there and do that. I want my team. Like I I would love to be able to add X, Y, and Z to this. So my partners, my special effects guys can go in there and and be amazing. Or the graphics designers can go in there and do some really cool stuff because as a fan, I know I would want to see that. And, and seeing things not happen for, for what I perceive as silly reasons, it's heartbreaking and it's really, really frustrating. Um, well
0: and i i don't use ego in terms of as having an ego but but you know the um the passion the awareness, but just you know the uh the investment that you're making in it as part of it is really what i'm i'm kind of referring to because you're it's like having hundreds of little baby ideas and you know yeah. only one or two of them are going to get to grow up and make it to college
1: and, and you know we we go in there and and just getting anything off the ground we're happy like just just to see that happen um but it, it's the same thing, like you know, anytime you look at like a behind-the-scene book for you know, not just for like Disney attractions, but behind the scenes of these movies, and you're like looking going, like, Oh man, that would have been awesome. But you know, those other projects, a, a movie or something, there's a reason they cut that. And mm-hmm. it might not have been the creative decision, it might have been a financial decision or or somebody else. Um, but that's that's just part of it. And
0: well, and, and look, I think I look back at the the very first tease that that uh that DJ did for the jungle cruise movie with that, that drone shot, the mm-hmm. pullback of the, uh, the whole like village that was built and all this. And going back to the movie, I'm like that, that really didn't have much of anything to it. You know, all of the set and scene and all of the hotel things. It's like, yeah, it was there, you know, it, it wasn't this giant reveal that that first you know, shot that he did really uh, made it out to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that set was beautiful. Like they, yeah. they you could have gone into any of those rooms and they wouldn't be completely decked out and, and propped out and stuff Um, that that set was so gorgeous i was was invited uh, to kawaii to go walk around that set and it was it was spectacular yeah i
0: mean just if you could have just lifted it up and dropped it into a a theme park somewhere as an experience
1: yeah i mean it it looked i mean it was that quality i mean it it wouldn't have lasted because you know they don't build stuff to last They, they build stuff to last for a few months um but yeah like just like the the details and you know, the art director took us through and he was explaining like, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, uh, mold isn't typically this color, but we wanted to bring in this because it balances that. And you're just it, it was talking to him was like talking to Joe Rody There was you know, that that level of artistic detail and storytelling was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, the, the that wide shot drone shot did, did not do that set justice. It was yeah. insane.
0: Well, I just don't feel like it really ever actually had a payoff for other than, you know, they had, they use it as background, but it never really yeah. like felt like that was a, a character in the story the way it could have been.
1: So yeah, it was, it was a hype video. It was to get people excited. And yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And
0: it worked. And you know, yeah. I, I, I bought into that hype very, very heavily. So um, so I guess we should talk about uh, Tokyo and the whole contest and things like that. Cause it is one of kind of the, oh, yeah. the linchpins, I guess, of the uh, Kevin lively experience. Uh, which I hear you're going out on tour with the Kevin Lively experience this fall. So that's going to be exciting.
1: Uh got canceled COVID. Oh God
0: damn it. Again, yeah. something. Yep. Uh, but yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit about the Tokyo thing and kind of just fill, <clears throat> fill people in as far as what that was. And
1: yeah. So uh, 2009, they uh, it was the anniversary for the uh, Tokyo Disneyland resort and they were granting 25 cast wishes So all the cast members got to submit different ideas and they went through and they handpicked a few of them. There was like like some Japanese pop star did a concert in front of the castle for the cast members, things like that. Uh, But one of the skippers said, like he wanted to have a gathering of Jungle Cruise skippers from around the world. And that was his wish and it came true. So they held uh, competitions in Disneyland, Walt Disney World and Hong Kong. And I I can speak to the Disneyland side of it because that's that's where I was. Uh, Disneyland went all in. Like they, they were, it was, it was a pretty intense uh, uh, application audition process, uh, but it started with submitting uh, an, an interest form. And as you can imagine anybody with jungle knowledge submitted just like people who, people who didn't really even work there, like ever, like still submitted. So they got applications and then they kind of, you know, started sorting through them and, and finding like, oh no, you know, you don't really work jungle. You're more of a thunder person because you haven't worked jungle in four years type deal so they they kind of weeded them out from there uh and then they uh brought in they they pulled people threw them into a boat to basically do their spiel for some managers like not necessarily area managers but i think there was managers from like other lines of business and i got pulled when i was working my opera shift so i, got, I had to take a boat out of, for them while wearing the opera house tuxedo um, and then they uh that you took them around and then you went into a land's oasis at the time now tropical hideaway. And they asked you questions. And one of the questions they asked is like, what's the story of the jungle cruise. And I realized afterwards they were looking for like, Oh, it was a trading company that, that became, they started doing tours. But since I was in my opera costume, I was in history mode. And so I went through the entire like history, like Harper Goff and Mark Davis and all that stuff. Um, And so that was my answer to that question. Uh, And then for the finals, uh, They brought in, let's see how many people, I have the picture right here. One, two, three, four, five, six. It was me, Brian Hughes, Nick Lillard, Joey Summers, Mickey Wright, and uh, Tiffany. Uh, Those were the finalists. Uh, It was the morning of February 6th, 2009. And so we were told to get there before they opened. It was a rainy day. We knew that there was going to be some special judges. We had no idea who it was. Uh, Special judges ended up being uh, John and Nancy Lassiter. Uh, who had just spent the night in the dream suite the night before, because it was their anniversary. Uh, Marty Scalar, who was celebrating his birthday that day. Uh, and then Matt Gray, who's one of the managers, Kevin Rafferty, um, and Tony Baxter were the judges. And that morning, uh, <laughs> everybody was getting, getting together. And at some point, somebody tied off the boat that we were going to be taking out. Oh, Jerry was there as support as, you know, he was, you know, he wasn't in, running to go or anything but he was you know our biggest cheerleader and so everybody was setting up and then somebody had tied off the boat it was at unload and hooked it to the fence and then jerry had to move the boat forward so he hopped onto the front and then he grabbed the throttle and the boat started going forward well the boat stopped because it was tied off but jerry did not stop and he went right into the water (laughs) so jerry the morning of our tokyo judging uh, he actually missed my boat because he was in costuming he had to get a new outfit. And he was so, he was so excited because, you know, the Lassiter and Marty Scalar and Tony Baxter, all these people were coming and, and he was as big as nerd as anybody. Um, and so I was the first boat to go out there. Uh, everybody took a trip and they filmed it and everything. And then at the very end, we went to Aladdin's Oasis. Uh, and they announced that uh, I, I came in first and uh, a unanimous decision, which was, insane and then uh mickey came in second and then they pulled out the surprise and they said you know we're actually going to be able to you know send the the alternative with you so we're gonna send two skippers so it was me and mickey right uh and you know mickey might be somebody to be fun to have on your podcast i don't know if you ever met him I know. Uh, he, he, he was like a, he, he's a grandpa but he has uh a really strong resemblance to big al from the country bears mm-hmm. but he was just he had he has the biggest heart uh, he was known for rocking the suspenders with the belt. Um, and uh, so I move, Mickey and I move I, that
0: Dwayne Johnson later stole from Mickey is I guess yep. what I'm, I'm getting at
1: 100 percent. 100 percent. He stole uh, Mickey's wardrobe. Uh, so they sent us from Disneyland, and then from uh, Walt Disney World, they sent Alex and Beth, and then from uh, Hong Kong, they sent Mo and Andrew. Um, and we were out there for a week. And they, they took us around Tokyo, we had our own guides and stuff. Uh, and one morning, before opening it, it was this we're talking might have been late February, early March, it was that cold. It, it, it was so cold it snowed. Like we we were jungle cruise in Tokyo in the snow. Um, but they did like a whole big ceremony, like one of the first mornings there before opening, you know, we're all freezing, they gave us those little hand warmer things that you pop open You keep them in your pocket. And we had them in our shoes and stuff just to stay thought out. But all the, all the Tokyo cast members were invited, not just, not just skippers, but like around the whole park. And they were there sitting on that hard frozen concrete, watching us do this ceremony thing with Mickey and Minnie and a banner and everything. It was crazy. And then we, they got into a line and they hopped into boats. They didn't know whose boat they were getting, you know, none of us spoke Japanese because it was, you had, two sets of American skippers and one set of, of, of Hong Kong skippers didn't care. They went out there, they had a blast. We, we took out boats as, as long as we as long took, uh, get everybody through. Um, and then after that, we did like a series of um, like, like workshops and meet and greets with some of the skippers. Uh, we did like jungle karaoke where we, uh, you know, we threw our crews up there and we spilled in front of it, like Rocky Horror Picture Show style and you know, we did Q and a, it was, it was was fantastic. Then at the very end, uh, the last night they did a big presentation for all the cast members around the resort in like the big giant ballroom, at the Mira Costa, which if you've never seen the Mira Costa hotel at Tokyo, Disney sea, that's kind of like their grand Californian where it kind of goes into the park. It's gorgeous. I mean, it makes Caesar's palace look like a motel six. Like it is an amazing hotel. So they had us there. And, uh, they had us up on stage and they asked us questions and we had translators and everything. Uh, they had us do like, you know, the same Rocky horror style cruise and, every, and stuff. And then afterwards, uh, you know, the six of us stood there as every cast member walked out and they, every single one stopped and thanked us except for one who skipped over me for some reason. And, uh, that uh, the other skippers were having fun with that one. You know, they said she was the true skipper. Um, but uh yeah, it was a so super cool experience, you know, hanging out with the jungle cruise skippers of Tokyo, you realize that there, there's there's again another weird phenomenon around Disney attraction that the jungle cruise skipper DNA has no borders, has no boundaries. You know, they're telling us stories that mirrored things that you know we experienced in Anaheim. Yeah, you know, at one point, you know, one of the one of their skippers asked us, Hey, um, do you guys pull any pranks or anything like that? And I explained, well, you know, Jungle Cruise, you know, back in the day was known for you know crazy pranks and stuff. And, you know, we just can't get away with things like that anymore for safety reasons and stuff. But we always get pressure from older generations who are like, hey, you know, back in my day, we used to do this. And so that gets run through the translator. And then you see every single one of their heads turn and it looks at one of their managers and come to find out that the manager that they're looking at used to be a skipper when it opened back in '82, or I think it was. And apparently, same thing. Like the older generation saying, "Hey, you know, back in my day mm-hmm. in Tokyo, they would take surfboards to the top of Schweitzer Falls." <laughs> and the other skipper, the younger skippers, going, "Yeah, oh, we can't do that anymore." And so it's it's weird, you know. You know, divorce from an entire you know side of the planet these the the same little weird things still happen which is which is awesome which is one reason i I love jungle it's um it's one of those uh
0: go back into the archives things i i interviewed um the american skipper who went over during the opening at tokyo the pre-opening when they were putting the boats in the water and installing the animals and all that and um just just hearing him tell the early stories about translations and setting things up so it's it's a good Mm. uh it's a good go back for people who want to hear the, the story about the Tokyo uh, jungle cruise. It's definitely a fun, a fun little bit of that. So, um, yeah. Sorry,
1: go ahead. Luna is,
0: is insistent that I give her some attention because my okay. cat is just, you know, crazy. You know, I,
1: I mentioned that, you know, Mickey had his uncanny resemblance to big Al. And one of the things we asked him like, Hey, do you want us to stick to the spiel? And they're like, well, as much as you can. And we're like, well, you know, in Anaheim, you know, we have a temple and we tell jokes inside there. And and they're like, oh, well, you know, we don't really spiel. This is before they had all the projection mapping and stuff. Um, like, well, we don't spiel in our temple because the same as Florida where the acoustics are horrible. But they let us, you know, have a little wiggle room and have a little fun. But uh, Mickey, because his resemblance to Big Al, when he went inside the temple, he would just start singing Blood on the Saddle. And every <laughs> single person riding the boat would just start busting up laughing because it's just it was so obvious um that was yeah country bears in in tokyo is phenomenal i love it yeah the um yeah i i guess it had always
0: been because i it was in that you know period where it was kind of before the the podcast it kind of started you know moving along, but I still kind of knew some people. So it was, it was in my radar, but not necessarily anything I was ever really aware of. So kind of the same thing with the, the year of a year of a million jobs, you know, or the, uh, the Disney dream job thing, uh, still trying to get Brody Brocky to come on the podcast, but we'll see. The uh, guy who won the, the yeah, film.
1: yeah. No. uh Yeah. Kyle Reed, who was a skipper I worked with was part of that dream squad. So I'm sure he has some stories. Yep. If you want to talk about the year of a million dreams. Yep. So, uh, you know, I
0: guess the, um, uh, the, the most recent crowning achievement in gosh, I think my friend Kevin is cool land, uh, would have been the, uh, haunted mansion Muppets. Um, which, which is just kind of amazing that, you know, you got your credit in a, in a, a role at the end of it. Finally.
1: Yeah. I, I can retire now. And yeah. yeah, you got your IMDB. Yep. No, that was, so one of my little side jobs with Imagineering, you know, my main role was as a writer, but I also worked with our, our partner franchise team as kind of like the the liaison for any external partners who wanted to use our stories like Mansion, Jungle, Tiki, Thunder, anything like that, and use it for like a book or a TV show or a movie or a game or something. And so Haunted Mansion is a hot commodity, man. It's like the number one requested thing from everybody. And so when, uh, my partner and I, uh, Julene, who is my, she's like my work sister. She, uh, she works, she works with the, you know, the franchise team. We got called over her, her jungle cruise is, is haunted mansion. Like she got engaged on a haunted mansion, like her whole, like she has like half of her house is haunted mansion. It's, it's insane. She loves that. So we got called over to Muppet studios, uh, for a meeting one day. And I'm sitting there, you know, with Bill Beretta, like in a meeting, and, and I think Kirk Thatcher was there too. And I'm just like trying not to geek out because uh, as a kid who grew up with the Muppets, as soon as like the Muppets became part of Imagineering, like we started just throwing out every crazy idea. And I mean, that's how we got Uncle Deadly into the Haunted Mansion presentation at D23 is because <laughs> we needed a, a narrator and I threw out the crazy idea. I'm like, well, how about we get a Muppet? and uncle deadly was the perfect fit for it. And so I don't know if, if that kind of set into motion the haunted mansion special, but I know Kirk Thatcher, one of the Muppet writers has been trying to do a Halloween special for a long time. And so I, I think he jumped on the opportunity. Uh, and so being able to help out with that project was a, a dream come true. Like uh, working with that team is, is amazing. I, I love the I love the Muppets. My, my group, my girls love the Muppets. Um, so being able to help them out and then also help protect the, the legacy of, of our attraction. And you know, they're talking about cameos or like, oh, any imagineers yeah, we want to put in there. And what I threw out was Kim Irvine. I'm like, you know, and what ended up in the special is like exactly what I pitched. And so, and then Kim went in there and she killed her little cameo as as uh Madam Pagoda's uh mansion maid. And so I'm just I'm just so happy that you know we were able to get her in there too.
0: So, I mean, I've, I've got a long Muppety track record as well. And, uh, you know, I really put it up in my top three or four Muppet things ever. Uh, you know, I put it up there with, with, uh, Christmas Carol, which of course is, is uh, stellar, Perfection. um, uh, for the first, I don't know how I missed it the first time around or for the last 13 years, I saw Muppet letter to Santa this year mm-hmm. and, it, it really does come across for the first quarter of it as, um, an advertisement for the U S postal <laughs> <Yes>. service.
1: <laughs> yeah. We, um, we, we, we watched that and I was thinking the same exact thing. I'm like, how much money did the post office pay for this special? So, um, you know, I always, uh, I guess part of your and my secret
0: history is that for a little while we had lunch dates and we would just hang out at random, you know, burger bars or uh-huh. barbecue places and, and uh, Japanese barbecues, whatever it happened to fit the mood. And uh, still to this day, my, my favorite uh, Kevin Lively memory, there's a couple of them. Uh, thermodynamics for comedy writers uh, was was a fun one. We'll at least leave that as a hidden Easter egg for people. But it was my my idea blue skying uh, a Muppet uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, uh, with Statler and Waldorf in the back corner. You know, uh, oh, we needed this show like we needed another hole in the head. <laughs> um, but I, I just could imagine revitalizing the Lincoln show with, you know, Sam Eagle coming out uh, in front of Lincoln. I really thought that had some good legs to it. So, the Muppets don't have legs. Okay. So, well, I, I've seen Kermit ride a bike. Oh, that's so you're true. You're a liar, I'm sir. Sure. You are a
1: liar. <laughs> that's right. I'm sorry.
0: So I guess one of the things I was, I mean, as I was reminiscing about kind of your and my time, just hanging out and pitching ideas uh, would be just to throw a random question at you. Like uh, what's another attraction or thing that if you could
1: Muppetize, uh, what would it be? So we'll start with an attraction. Like as a special or make the attraction? Nope, nope.
0: Just add in something Muppety to, to the attraction. It's oh, beautiful. I mansion!
1: like th- that should be the, that should be the Halloween overlay, the Christmas yeah. overlay. Well, that Jack Skellington thing is crap. Well, yep. you said it, not yep. me. I, I, um, paint,
0: I helped paint that. Um, you know, the, the ribbons and stuff on the outside that have the white streaks. Um, they pulled a bunch of us over it, for some reason. And we, we helped them paint all of those. One The first year, the very first year it was getting done. And we did it with uh, whiteout brushes. And we would put one brush between each of our knuckles and dip it in a white paint pan and just drag it down the sides of those ribbons. Uh, it was quite high tech, that uh, wow. decorating
1: experience. Precision work.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, throw the randomness. So what's, what's an attraction that you could just, you know, Mupp- uh, that. So um, I've always kind of thought that we need to have like, you know, a Muppet Rocky horror or so put the Muppets into a movie. What's the movie you want to see Muppetize? You get one human character. One human actor, everyone else has to be Muppets.
1: Oh, man. I mean, I think everybody has thrown out their ideas on, on Twitter and, and TikTok and stuff. Um, man, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Uh, Muppet Princess Bride, I think, is a, 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 a fantastic idea. That's a, that's a solid one. Somebody also recently threw out Avengers Endgame with just josh brolin as, as you know uh, remaining as uh in his role but all the all the heroes are just muppets
0: well it needs to be uh Gonzo as as dr strange you know is <laughs> is the obvious choice there
1: that, that would be pretty amazing uh, um,
0: kermit is but, the yeah. Hulk, but he stays the same size
1: i don't have to think about that one
0: okay um so let me think. Uh, this is the, uh, I prepare for my interviews. Really, I do. I have notes. <laughs> it's funny. I get a lot of notes whenever I do podcasts, uh, usually afterwards. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, you have, you know, recently moved on from your Imagineering career and uh, you have taken to sculpting wooden animals. Yeah um which i i feel like there's just a uh, a book in there somewhere but um i know that you have some side stuff that you you have out there uh with your website and stuff so i want to always give people the chance to you know plug the fun stuff because I, I have my hippo i have my little wooden carved hippo that i that i love dearly perfect uh, i don't know it's um, the only gold one ever but i feel like i got a golden ticket with your friendship
1: that's right uh no actually you know going back to the earlier question about you know how do you deal with things you know, that get cut and and things that don't happen. And uh, Matt Vogel, who is the the puppeteer for uh, Kermit and and Big Bird and stuff now, he has his own podcast. And one of the questions he asked everybody, uh, Jerry Nelson asked him was, you know, Sesame Street is great, but what do you have that is your own? And so, you know, after hearing that, you know, I I really said like, you know, what what do I have my own? And I always kind of tinkered with just carving and stuff, uh, Tiki Tony, uh, who's an awesome artist, uh, has, has really been fantastic in, in giving me tips and showing me how to do things. Uh, but when I was going through the frustrations of, of work, that was be- that became kind of like my escape because nobody gave me notes. I didn't have to worry about budgets. Um, I was able to do what I wanted. And so that was my creative escape. And then, uh, you know, putting them up on, uh, my Etsy shop, which you can go to uh, skipperkevin.com and, uh, you know, putting it up there and I'm doing pretty well uh, selling carvings, which is really cool. Um, but also, you know, every month I would do a a fundraiser auction. And so I've raised money for uh, toys for tots raising money for uh, uh, chimps in need wild tomorrow, fun, uh, give kids the world, lots of different, uh, different organizations as, as my way to give back. Um, I, I, ju- I just feel like, you know, that's, that's the least I can do if, if I can, you know, get some, get some fun art to somebody and make somebody smile and raise a couple of bucks for a charity. Awesome. Cool. Uh, and then also, you know, since leaving my wife and I published our first self-published so our own book. Uh, it's the, the Von Blowhole Miracle Shut-Eye Sleep Method. It's a children's uh, time to go to bed book. So it's a whole bedtime routine book about a whale, a very dapper, old-timey whale. And so you can also pick up signed copies of that from my website. Uh, skipperkevin.com but yeah that's i do signs i do carvings of animals i do i have a little shrunken head up there i i started dabble in paintings and i've sold some paintings which is pretty cool uh you considering the only the only art class i've ever really taken is that ceramics class uh it's so i'm I'm, I'm still figuring still still figuring everything out uh in the garage where i do everything things have slowed down because it's it's cold uh, so I, I take advantage of any sort of warm weather. So when I go out and the paint actually dries and staying, instead of staying cold and tacky, um, but yeah, if, if listeners want to check that out, it's, uh, I always try to put new stuff up there. Uh, I've also been, uh, everything I had in my office at Imagineering, I've been going through it on TikTok. If you follow me at lively land, which is my social handle, uh, for all my personal stuff across the board. Uh, I, I go through and I talk about it, where I came from, what it is. Uh, and then a lot of it ends up on eBay. And so if you want some cool Disney collectibles, a lot of Imagineering exclusive stuff, I'm, I'm putting it up on eBay. Uh, I'm putting up new stuff like every week. Uh, let me see. And then, yeah, follow me Twitter, Instagram, lively land, uh, skipper Kevin art on Instagram, uh, for all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, just trying to keep busy and, and, and figure out, my, my new place in the universe, you know, for 15 years, it was my life revolved around Disney. And so not having that as is, is my nine to five or even more than that, because, you know, I would spend three, four hours a day commuting on top of that. Um, so it, it's been nice to reconnect with my family and my kids and, and be there for them, take my daughter to dance lessons, be there to cook dinner for them. Um, it, it's, it's been great but yeah, still trying to figure out where I'm going to land uh, a lot of possibilities. We'll, we'll see, see where it goes. Well, there, there's always stories out there
0: and that's yeah. you know, the, the great thing about having a hand in stories. Uh, the, um, I was going to say though, for the amount of commuting that you did, I I do appreciate all of those. I think you were like 2.5 million of my three and a half million <laughs> listens for the podcast.
1: <laughs> Just Keeping it on
0: background repeat probably kept me in the advertising money. I appreciate that.
1: You, you kept me entertained for many, many miles, my friend. Yeah, uh, it
0: was a good time. And I, uh, like I said, I, uh, I wish that there had been a microphone on when we were sitting there randomly, uh, tossing ideas back and forth at restaurants and punning and having jokes, because that's, uh, I think there is both a sadness and a joy when you have moments with someone that, you know, that anyone in the world would have wanted to sit there and listen to, and that no one ever will. It's- bittersweet bittersweet moments of uh god that was the funniest thing i ever said and no one else will ever hear it
1: now i i'm, I'm gonna step back and i'm just gonna embarrass you I, I just i want to express my appreciation for all the work you've done with the podcast and and capturing that jungle cruise history uh you, you've really done amazing work just capturing you know people from from opening day like all the way to today and uh you know i i don't know you know you I know we chat all the time and then some days you kind of feel lost. but I hope you realize how many people really appreciate and and how much of an impact you've made on, you know, this, the legacy of this beloved attraction, you know, at the end of the day, it it is a silly, silly water ride with mechanical animals, but the community around it is so important. And that's what was it keeps it going, you know, um, so yeah, just on behalf of all your listeners, man, you, you've you done amazing work and you should be super proud.
0: You know, it's, it's a strange thing with podcasts and having listened and, you know, I'm big fans of, you know, like, like Conan O'Brien's podcast and there's I'm not putting myself in that same category, but, but there's You're all bad. of these, I am actually, but, um, but you know, but I, I think that one of the things that was a interesting lesson that I kind of came by honestly mm-hmm. was how to make something not about you that seems for a moment like it is about you. Like, you know, when I have people on the show, I mean, I joke, we tell stories, we, you know, share back and forth, but you know, I've never tried to let it go to my head and think that this for really any moment is about me. Um, It's about the interactions and the people and the history and and the joking and all that. But, you know, it's uh, I think it's easy, particularly when you, I've never also tried to be a, a Disney historian because, you know, look at how much I can totally forget about whether or not some, you know, someone was using the right concrete at Shanghai um, going back to the start of the episode. Um, but no, I've never claimed to be a historian. I just enjoy chatting with people and getting in their head and, and uh, enjoying the thing that they also enjoy. And uh, luckily, you know, a, a few people have listened to it over the years to enjoy it. And I wish I had, more content. I will say that, uh, I love having you on, but man, I'll tell you COVID has, uh, made it. So a lot of people don't want to talk right now. They don't want to yeah. jump on zoom. They don't want to tell the stories. They don't want to do their thing. And there's a lot of stories that I, I want to listen to. I, I have not really had a chance to chat with any Tokyo skippers.
1: Yeah. You know, it, and you know, we, we said, I've said for years, cause we we've tried to make this happen for years, but you know, being part of Disney, you'd have, I'd have to run it through the machine. And it, it kept, you know, every time we, we'd run it through, it gets shot down. And so so for some strange reason, I guess they preferred me doing it after I was employed and they no longer could have a say in our conversation. Which yeah. is, well, I, I is appreciate you making the choices you did so we could have this conversation. <laughs> You're the only reason I quit because I'm like, yes. you know what? I told Kyle I would do, but I always promised you would be my first podcast. And uh, and so uh, my, my first post-Disney podcast, I, I know I'm not joining Johnson or John Lasseter, but... Um, happy to be here for you. And if you're a skipper out there and you're, you're hesitant, just do, just just give it a shot. You know, if, if it, if it turns out like, like garbage, then he doesn't post it. Uh, but it's important to keep, keep things like this going, especially, you know, I, I was a lot of people reached out and to me, you know, asking for um, interviews and, and stuff like that. When I announced I was leaving Disney and I just, I wasn't in the place, man. It was, it was dark for me. And I, I I'll be the first to, to admit, man, it's, it really took a toll on my mental health and my, you know, depression and anxiety and, you know, it, it still pops up here and there, but I've gotten a lot better and, you know, COVID has not done anybody any favors, mm-hmm. you know, especially from a mental health standpoint, but you know, getting out there and having a nice conversation with a friend is, 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 is just what the doctor ordered. Um, so I, I was more than happy to, to do this for you. Um, anytime, you know, we, we have a lot of stuff. We've never even, we haven't even scratched a surface on. Oh, so yeah. if nobody else steps up, just keep calling me and we'll just keep doing this. Yes. Well, I need
0: a co-host. You can be my, um, uh, can I yeah. be the new kitty? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's, I do, I do, I do want to say that I think one of the saddest things was that I was unable to abuse your position to get a, um, a Gary London character anywhere into the SEA. <laughs> Um, the, the radio plays, you know, it's the first year I didn't really post the Christmas radio play. Cause I, I felt like, uh, I haven't done anything for a long time and just putting up backlog issues was a thing I did when I was working at the parks, but, but uh, there is a crocker fish. There is a crocker fish and, and my cat does get name checked at the queue at the Walt Disney world now, apparently. So, uh,
1: my dog has the same exact name just coincidentally. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that. that's, that's how, that's how far apart we are is our pets have the same exact name? Yeah. I,
0: we do need to, um, and you know, we'll just tease this as a sequel for at some point down the road as, as a devoted episode to the SEA. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a story that needs to be told in maybe a little more depth than we can do with all the other things we're talking about, but, uh, man, that thing's got a life of its own.
1: Yep. It's a monster.
0: Yeah. But we can talk about Skipper Canteen. We can talk about, uh, SEA what else we want to put on the next episode to tease people for for six months down the road when I finally get out do another episode
1: I don't know man it's you know if you look at the look at the projects I worked on uh, you know helping out with uh, all that external stuff with you know different TV partners and stuff like that Uh, hyperspace mountain yeah I'm proud of my work on that one the cars land Christmas and Halloween stuff is fantastic also some of my favorite stuff. Uh, and then even our, our most recent jungle, jungle refresh, you know, that's uh, probably a whole episode in itself and, and the wild roller coaster, you know, I'll tell you what I can, you know, obviously I'm not here to burn bridges or anything because, you know, I still have a lot of friends there and I'd still I, like to keep working with them. I, I just um, have to
0: say your burn bridges attraction concept was, was really just the worst part of Tom Sawyer Island. Well, you know, it, it worked for universal over at backdraft, <laughs> you know, that, that attraction really held up way past the length of that movie. <laughs> i mean the backdraft attraction i mean it only closed like five years ago or something like 25 years after the movie came out i don't know something like that 20 whatever it was but i mean it definitely uh it definitely actually held up you go in there you felt the yeah felt the emotion Like when kurt, kurt russell, russell
1: going the screen you're like man he looks good for his age yeah like when spielberg pops pops up at the et ride you're like man that guy never ages well that's the great thing about you know all of these moments
0: and and especially jungle is it uh the moments will be forever. The the jokes will be around forever. Unfortunately, a lot of people will take credit for the joke that's been around for 60 years. Yep, uh, That's kind yeah. of the, the repetitive trend with jungle is I thought of a great joke and no one's no, ever done it. it before. Yeah, not, <laughs> that's not how it no, works. No, I
1: mean, that, that was like one of the first lessons I learned down there. And that was something I carried over too. Man, we're just gonna keep running. Um, but if you pick up a copy of the Disney Parks Presents Jungle Cruise book, uh, one thing I'm, I'm super proud of is they're like, Oh, do you want us to put you down as the author? I'm like, I didn't write the jokes guys. Like I wrote some of them. Um, but like these jokes have been going on for decades. And so if you look at the the credits for that book is it's written by the Walt Disney Imagineers and the jungle crew skippers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was something I, I made a point on. And so all the skippers out there, uh, we have a writing credit now, so I don't know how that works. Uh, we'd also
0: talk about tropical hideaway the next time we sit and chat, because that is, uh, One of those things that I, uh, other than Rosita, you know, interrupting my damn spiel every time that I'm stuck at trader Sam forever in a day. Um, but that it's okay. Um, yeah, we can chat about all those things down the road too. Yeah. We got a lot
1: of fun stuff to talk about. And like I said, you know, other skippers out there, hit up Kyle, keep the conversation going. If you don't, you're going to get stuck with me.
0: And you've got to come out because we've got both Kings Island and Dollywood that you and I need to go to, because I want to kind of just have like a grab a a steady cam, like one of the iPhone steady cams and just like mystery science theater, a whole bunch of
1: other theme parks with you. Dollywood is on my bucket list. I've wanted to go there for years. And so once, once the world returns to being semi-normal, let's do it. Yep. Just uh, hit me up.
0: We'll have some chili spaghetti and we'll go, uh, We'll go enjoy ourselves out there. We'll,
1: we'll go to the stadium and grab a bagel. It'll be great. Yes.
0: All right, my friend. Well, I'll leave you to your family. I uh, uh, The invitation's always open and I appreciate the kind words. And hopefully we'll get a few more stories out there because uh, there are a million stories out in the jungle and uh, a few of them are worth retelling.
1: So, Cool. All right. Now I'm going to bring out my little chimes and, and play the little note for you. And it's going to seem like it's pre-recorded, but it's actually be playing my little. Well, Kungaloosh, my, my
0: friend. And uh, we'll see you later playing it right now bong bong bong